Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Vox. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Yes, yes. Interesting. This is what happens when you're at a small church. You don't have anybody to watch your kids, so your wife, and you do a little swap, and then the bass player right. comes down to do announcements. <laughs> yeah, this is how it works. <laughs> it's fine. That's fine. Thank you guys for being here this morning. It is so good to see you. Happy Easter. Yes. Uh, that feels good. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. We got a couple announcements, a couple quick things you need to know about, just some uh, announcement things for the church. Uh, Vox PM. So for those of you who are new and not heard of this, what is Vox PM? So the last Sunday of every month, we have just been gathering together and sharing a meal around the Eucharist. Imagine that, right? Like a real church. So uh, that has been at Fieldwork, and so it's been an awesome time. We play games. We have fun. It's just a, like a, just a time to connect and get to know people within the community, um, and so that's coming up uh, next week, the 28th, correct? Yeah, that's right. So we will not be here. So if you come here at 10, it will be a ghost town. Yes. So There might be somebody here to say. Maybe someone here to tell yeah. you to go somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And then lastly, um, we have uh, the Easter egg hunt, which is happening out on the grass fields just out here. So if you have uh, elementary and preschool kids, they will be picked up out there where the egg hunt is going to happen. It's going to be pandemonium. Um, that'll be right after the service. We've got donuts and all kinds of stuff out on the patio. So it's going to be great. So join us for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're new here and someone has uh, coaxed you into coming because your friend has been coming here for a couple years um, into this little community. Um, yeah, this was a church that started out of a podcast and uh, by a few of us that felt like maybe the church can look different. Maybe there's room to have bigger conversations about um, some of the most controversial things happening in culture. What do we do with all these different views on theology? What do we do with, you know, legitimate views on both sides of multiple doctrine? Um, Can there be a place where uh, folks gather together and have differences, but also realize that the invitation into something as Eucharist uh, with Jesus can be a way that we level, we find equality, we find unity together as, as we're pursuing, um, I think what most of us would say is a pretty difficult life, you know, sure. as much as um, we'd love to say that, uh, you know, the church is a place where everything's going to feel good, it's that Sunday place of rest and relief, you know, we have to acknowledge there's people coming in here who are like, I can't just go from zero to 100, um, but rather I need space, I need room um, to have thoughts, to have feelings, and to worship maybe differently than others do, and um, that absolutely um, is this kind of place. Um, I grew up in a relatively conservative traditional church. There was no instruments on stage. It was probably a church about this size. Church was two and a half hours long. Um, Praise Jesus yeah. for this one. We huh? did we did do yeah. communion um, every weekend, but there was a teaching for communion oh, as well yeah. as a sermon. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, we got we taught be, a lot. We can, we can incorporate that. Yeah, we can yeah, start. Yeah. We can start going there, right? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I had a, a pretty um, interesting journey, kind of uh, on my road through faith as it is, and kind of I didn't leave my faith or walk away in my early teens, but or uh, early twenties. But I definitely wasn't going to church, um, touring, playing music. So Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and um, end up in ministry. So you know, here we are. You know, it's the way fifteen it works. years later, it's just the way it works, it's right? The way it works, just the way it works. But um, but yeah, Ronnie, what's kind of been your experience so far since we've been here? Yeah, uh, it's kind of like the church that's kind of an experiment, you know, and, and and not doing things the way that things have always been done, which has uh, been unique for me and personally coming out of ministry uh, for the last ten years, uh, having space um, and having permission to uh, explore different ideas 
ideas and thoughts. Um, I think a place that is safe for people to have doubt, um, even embracing my own doubt and my own skepticism about some of the things that are here and what does this mean and what does it mean to pursue Jesus. Uh, and I think that just having that space and that permission more than anything has been really, really healing for me um, and I think has just propelled me personally into a different level of spiritual formation and maturity. So I've seen that in some of our people here as they've continued to walk that journey as we practice some of the spiritual disciplines and practices. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, again, if, uh, if you are new here, um, take some time to come up and, and chat with us uh, when you see us. My name is Andy. I didn't really get to introduce myself, but my name is Andy. I'm the creative director here, one of the pastors. And um, yeah, again, uh, wherever you're coming from, um, you're welcome here. You're safe here. Um, and nothing is off limits for conversation and dialogue and questions, as, as you'll see Ronnie will talk about that. But uh, Ronnie's just going to share a little bit more about what to expect today with the service and yes. what we're doing. And, um, and here we go. Happy Easter. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Yep. All right. So um, as always, we take questions throughout the service. Um, I won't answer them because obviously we're teaching, but uh, if you have questions about anything, feel free to ask them and we do our best to sort of respond. We don't call them answers because we don't really have answers. We just have responses. It's the best that we can come up with. And so we just want to create a space where you know that it's okay to ask anything about the service, how it's done, or about the message, or about the worship, or whatever. And so um, if you have those things, please send them in. We'd love to, we'd love to read those in response. So this morning, we're going to jump into the uh, Easter story. Oh, let me, let me just point out real quick. We had our Good Friday service, and we had lots of uh, great art uh, that was there in, in field work. Um, some great artists came out and presented uh, four theories of atonement. And so it was awesome. If you're not familiar with what is atonement, essentially, what does Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection mean for us? Uh, and so it's not just, there's not just one way of thinking about that. There's lots of different ways of thinking about it. And so we just created a space that allowed people to contemplate through art. And what does that mean? What does it look like? And so we had some awesome ones. Um, the one over there, particularly with the uh, the neon lights, said death and it was no power, which is awesome. Um, so really, really cool. So uh, that's kind of the community that we are. We love to embrace art as a way of um, responding and hearing God. So uh, this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna start in Genesis 2 because we're better to start the Easter story than in the very beginning, right? Uh, and so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll have them on the screen for you. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pay attention to some words. Uh, there's some literary content that's happening in this, uh, this, this thing we call the Bible, uh, some, some very key words that I want to help draw our attention that will help bring the story of Easter uh, to, to the forefront. So Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, this is after God has created the story, the narrative tells us that God is creating things. He's creating uh, the universe, creating the earth. He's creating everything that we see, and he creates man, and he puts him in this garden. But the Lord God warned him, said, you may freely eat from the tree of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. In verse 18, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, this is where Eve comes into the story. Interesting point, uh, if you've been a part of this conversation, this dialogue that we've been having, not to get too far off on a tangent, uh, this word helper, uh, for I think many, many people in certain traditions of Christianity have seen helper as less than, submissive. The woman is the submissive. But what we actually know from some studying is that that word, azer, uh, is war language. That the woman is a warrior, a co-warrior with the man. They are at the same place when they go out to battle. It's the same word that's used of Jehovah Azer, who is the God, who is the one who goes out into the battlefield on, on behalf of his people. Uh, so that elevates man and woman together. And so this is how God creates, uh, begins to create the story of humanity. 
The story of creation begins in Genesis, and the garden is very, very important to this story, as you'll see. The garden setting is where life is formed. As you think about a garden, when you plant, you put new life in the ground, this is where life erupts, and this is where things flourish, and this is how the narrative goes, that this is the way things were created. A garden is where relationships begin, where man and woman connect and have this relationship, where man, woman, and God begin their relationship, this union. In this garden is where heaven and earth become one. This is the ultimate reality. Heaven and earth unified together in this one place in the garden, right? This is the, this is the story in Genesis, and it continues to tell this story throughout Scripture when you continue to read. But there's a split in the garden. We know that uh, in this garden, uh, there was a serpent who came in and tempts them. Now, Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent. Without, without getting too much into what is this serpent, who is it, I just kind of want to touch on this. This, is, um, this literature, this narrative is drawing upon ancient Near East culture. Uh, there were other cultures who had serpents that represented different things. And so, for instance, um, the Egyptians had a, a god who was an enemy, and he was a serpent. And so, the serpent represents so wisdom, it represents uh, uh, evil. And so the, narr- the, the writers, Genesis, were, t- were trying to draw our attention to something. That something came in and caused this split. And so what happened is that there was free will between Adam and Eve. They had a choice to choose, and a choice was made, which led to a separation. So in the creation story, what was once one, the relationship that formed, that grew, that was beautiful, that was between God and his people, heaven and earth combined, was now separated because of sin. This sets up the trajectory of the whole narrative of Scripture. The Bible is telling us something profound, not just about us, but more importantly about God and what God is doing. This is set against the backdrop of other Near East beliefs about who God is, right? We've talked about this before, if you've been with us any any length of time, that um, the writers were, 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 when they're writing these stories in Genesis, deeply political. In the midst of a culture and a society where battles and war was won by power and defeating and dominating, a new narrative arose about a God who was loving. You see, following gods was risky business in this time. And this God tells us that the risk is gone, that this God loves you, that he cares for you, that you are the apple of his eye, that we are the culmination of his creation. And this is a unique story because he is a God like no other gods. In fact, um, when you look back in the stories, uh, the Jewish people, the ancient Hebrew people, while they, some people think they were monotheistic, they actually weren't. They believed that there were other lowercase g gods, but there was only one true God. And this is the God that they're talking about, this God of, of, of Israel who loved and cared for people. This, we are the pinnacle of his creation. And what follows is God essentially uh, consistently being faithful and pursuing relationship and union with his people. Again, we have the garden story over here, right? So everything is one. There's the creation. Life begins. Everything is beautiful. There's a split. Heaven and earth are now separated. The story continues as God is trying to unite heaven and earth again. He enters into human culture He enters into human society and operates within their system. So when you look back and you see some of the stuff that's happening, the sacrificing their pets and all this other stuff, and you're like, what is this? Remember, he's operating within the context that the people understood and know. He's relating to them. 
And so the story is, is that God is continuing to faithfully pursue his people. When you read stories about a tabernacle or a temple being built, this is God setting up a place where he can meet with his people in this one place. He's entering into culture and saying, here's where we become one together again. It's this merger of heaven and earth. Not separate, but one. Of course, we see there's problems with temples and tabernacles, right? You look throughout the story, you follow along, you see what's happening. First thing about temples and tabernacles, they're temporary, right? They get destroyed all the time. Someone comes into battle, destroys it, takes it, you know, steals all kinds of stuff out of it. They don't last. They're temporal. They're not here for good. They end up becoming idols of worship for the people. Rather than worshiping the God, they worship the thing. They worship the creation, not the creator. They separated and divided people. It created class systems where some people were in and some people were out. And so these temples, they created problems. They're centralized. It took God and all of who he was and sort of put him in this one place and said, this is where we can meet with God in one spot. But the story of Easter tells a different story. It tells us something more profound about this. In John, I love John's gospel. John's not like the other gospels. John sort of doesn't have any concern about the order of things. He's not, he's not so concerned about what events happened when and how they took place. See, he's more of like a free thinker. He's like a hippie, if you will. He's more concerned about this message of, of this story, this, 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 this narrative that's being told. And he uses very distinct words to get across his idea of what he's trying to convey to his readers. So in John 19, when John is writing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, notice some of the words that he uses, very intentional, very purposefully. In John 19, verse 38, afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body after it was on the cross. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who'd come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. So one of the things that you recognize right away is that John is writing this after the fact, some 40, 50 years after the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so as he's reflecting back, he's pointing out something pretty obvious, that these people who are followers of Jesus expected him to be their king, their Messiah, but he was crucified he died. They watched it. He was put in a tomb. He was buried. And then he rose again. They did not expect him to rise again. This is telling us that right now. Because they brought all the aloe, the myrrh, because of their tradition, this is what you would do with a dead body. So nobody, nobody expected that somehow Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. And John is trying to convey this message that even them, they missed it. Following uh, Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a what? Garden. That is not by accident. In fact, when you read John's gospel, you'll see he uses the word garden several times, where there was a new tomb never used before. Now, pay attention. You see what John just did there. 
You see, John would have been familiar with the old ancient texts, right? The Torah. He would have known. He would have known the story in Genesis that talked about God creating all of everything that we know in this garden place where new life was connected, where heaven and earth were brought together, where man, woman, and God were one. But then there was a separation. And so now with the death, burial, and resurrection, he's telling a new story. John is essentially retelling the creation narrative in a different way. What John is telling his readers and us today, this is the launching of God's new creation. The old creation was separated. This new creation is different. Jesus is leading us into God's new creation and he calls us into it. With his resurrection, he leads us into something new. It was in this garden where the first separation happened, and now it's in this next garden where heaven and earth are again united forever. Heaven and earth was finally established. You see, Jesus, when he started his ministry, kept saying the kingdom of God was at hand. It was here. They didn't quite understand that because what they were thinking was a military presence, one that would take back with power their kingdom, their their world, dominate. That's what they understood. And Jesus kept saying, no, my kingdom is here. My kingdom is here. The availability of my kingdom is now at hand. It was a different kingdom. And we we learned from the story in the Sermon on the Mount, it's it's an upside-down kingdom. It's one where those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who have nothing, those who are marginalized, those who are on the fringes, those are the ones who get to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who would take it by force and by power are missing what the new kingdom, the new creation looks like. So when we see the story that John is writing, Jesus comes to usher in a new creation, a new story. So here's how we make sense of this, this Easter story. You see, I don't know what you've heard about Easter. I don't know maybe some of the, the, the things that you've heard in the past about what Easter is. And I think sometimes Christianity and the story sort of gets watered down and boiled down to simply this, that Easter is about how when Jesus died and resurrected to a new life, it tells us that we have an afterlife after we die. And so what happens is we build a theology around that that says the whole point of our existence is so that we can go to heaven after we die. But this is not what Jesus was saying. In fact, it's not even what the New Testament writers believed. No, what Jesus was saying is that you can get to heaven before that you die. That there was heaven and earth united once again here through the person of Jesus. Access, you want to know what God is like? Look no further than me. That's what Jesus was saying. I am the full representation of who God is. Loving, compassionate, merciful, kind. This unity has arrived. What was once separated and beautiful in the garden was brought back together once and for all in this new garden. And Jesus, he invites us into this new creation to continue to bring heaven and earth back together again. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that if we follow this Jesus, that our life will follow his trajectory. It means that while we will experience moments of great joy, much like Jesus did, it also means that we will experience things like suffering and pain and sadness and loss very real things that sometimes get overlooked and avoided because 
the story has been told to us that, you know, just become a Christian and everything will be good. But then our lived experience tells us something different. But see, the New Testament writers, they saw that. The book of Acts is really the story of people following Jesus and their lives mirroring him. And so let's just look at Jesus' life. Where does it end? It ends with a crucifixion, a death. In fact, when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must lose your life to find it. He was foreshadowing, telling that if you want to follow and become a part of this new creation, your old life must die and a new life will begin. Notice the language again. This new creation, this new beginning is starting in the person of Jesus. Paul, when he was talking to the church in Corinth, was uh, letting these people know the same story reminding them of their duty because because Jesus ushered in a new creation, it gives us a job to do. It gives all who would follow Jesus very clear directive and imperative about what we're to do in this world because we are co-laborers. We work together with God to get his will accomplished. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says this, Paul says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Again, do you see the story connection? Do you see the literary ways that they're connecting these themes, these ideas? Old life dies, new creation begins. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. You see, he's reiterating the same story this Easter story again for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Let me read that again. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This is the reconciling. This is the redemption. This is bringing back heaven and earth, the separation that occurred. This is bringing it back together. And God has given us this task. Are you ready for it? Here's the task. Here's what Jesus has called us into as he is raised from the dead on this Easter. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, heaven and earth are once again united in one place. See, there's no need for tabernacles or temples that are temporal, that don't last, that get destroyed, that get taken. You see, the Holy Spirit now resides in one place, in the hearts and minds and souls of the people who would follow Jesus. There was no need for separation, who's in, who's out, who had access. It was freely given. Here it is. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Take a hold of it. It's yours. A new creation has been... Okay. A new creation has begun. It's been ushered in through the person of Jesus. And he invites us to reconcile. What does that mean? What does it mean to reconcile others? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about this, this, this idea of the Imago Dei. 
In Genesis, again, going back to Genesis, that we were created as image bearers. We reflect the image of God. And so when we present who God is to the world, people witness. We testify to the goodness of who Jesus is to others. And people are drawn to that. What is this? Who is this God? Who is this Jesus? And it brings people back into this unity with heaven and earth being united once again. You know, it's interesting. We talk about sin, right? What is sin? What does sin mean? The Greek word is hamartia, right? Which means to miss the mark. What is the mark? What is the mark that's being missed? If you've ever thought about this, what is the mark that's being missed? N.T. Wright, a theologian, says, the mark that's being missed is upholding the image of God. So anytime we don't uphold the image of God, we have missed the mark. The beautiful part about that is that the Holy Spirit who lives in those people who would follow Jesus reminds us and calls us back and says, you're forgiven, it's okay. Let's continue on the work of reconciling, of showing other people what the image looks like, treating each other as image bearers with respect and dignity and care and love and compassion and mercy. And so this Easter, when we do that, when we become that, when our lives reflect that, this is the new creation. This is the Easter story lived out in all of our lives every single day. This is the compelling work that these writers wrote thousands of years ago to remind us today that the work is not finished, but we're compelled by the Spirit, the power to go and live it out every single day. So this Easter Sunday, we celebrate that. Celebrate this beautiful story that talks about a new creation that has come. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful for your story. We're thankful for this opportunity to gather in this place and reflect and celebrate on your victory, your conquering over sin and death, that it no longer had the final say in our lives. We're grateful, Lord, that you, you point to your son and show us what you're like, that we have access to it, that we're freely given this gift to enter into relationship with you. We pray that we can continue to reflect your image and your beauty to the world around us. While we will get it wrong at times, we're so grateful for your grace and your mercy that says it's okay, keep moving, keep moving. And so God, we look to you this Easter Sunday as we leave this place to continue on the work that you've called us into. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you've been a part of Vox or if you're new to Vox, you know that the culmination of all that we do is not teaching, um, it's not even worship, it's the Eucharist. As Andy was sharing, the Eucharist, the table, is the place where Jesus met with all of those who thought they couldn't have access. Uh, Sitting at a table in Jesus' day was very political. Um, that's why the Pharisees, the religious people, were always watching to see who Jesus was eating with. And we know from the stories he was eating with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the worst of the worst. And what Jesus was saying is that these people, the ones who everyone looks down on, they get access. They can come to me. It's okay. And oftentimes it was the people who thought they were right who didn't get it. And so today, 2,000 years later, we celebrate that because he calls us to it. 
This access is granted. Everyone is welcome. And so this morning, if you've never had communion, um, we practice open communion where you're welcome to it. You get to sit with Jesus at the table and partake uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection, a new life, a new creation. Uh, The band's gonna sing and play some songs while you guys respond around the room. Uh, Gluten-free communion is over here, right here on this top step if you need it. Um, We also have some communion down here. We'll also have community pastors, people in this community who are shepherds, who are looking out for everybody here, who would love to pray with you, talk with you, share with you, anything that you need, they're here. Um, So this is our time of response over the next few minutes. Feel free to take together, take it as a family, you can take it by yourself. Whenever you feel ready, you can make your way down. This is your time. Easter Vox. Uh, Izzy would kill me if I told you this, but that's her song that she wrote. (laughs) Hey, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, It's been a good morning. I want to remind you about the Easter egg hunt. We have uh, donut kebabs, donut skewers. I don't know what you call them, but they're donuts on a stick outside, so they're all for you guys. Um, Thank you for those of you who are part of this community and help make it uh, what it is. We're we're grateful for the volunteers who sacrifice their hard time to make sure it's set up and tear down and everything and be here. Um, And we're also grateful for those who give sacrificially, generously to continue this uh, community. Um, If you'd like to participate with us financially, you can do that. We have giving boxes that will be outside in the doors. Um, If it's easier for you, you can do it online as well at voxoc.com. We would appreciate that. It helps continue what we're doing here. So happy Easter. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.